Welcome to the Soar Community Network Podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Pantadith, and today I have Megan Enriquez with us. She is the founder and CEO of True Conversations, LLC, founding member of Asian Business Collective for Women, and a former intervention director of a research trial at Johns Hopkins University. Megan has always been in the position where communication and engagement has been key and thrives on heart-to-heart connections. She earned degrees in exercise science and psychology from Slippery Rock University with honors. She then went on as the youngest intervention director to spend six years developing and leading the intervention for a multi-million dollar weight loss trial funded by NIMH for people with mental illness at the Johns Hopkins University. There at age 22, Megan went on to speak at statewide conferences and on nationally broadcasted radio stations for the American College of Sports Medicine. There's so much more to her story and I welcome Megan to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Thank you for having me, Molly. You're so welcome. I have been really honored to have met you through a common dear soul sister friend of ours, um, Mema Carmo. And ever since then, I've just been following all of your work. And so I do want our audience to know a little bit about your work. But first, let's start a little bit um, of background information about uh, how you came to decide to study what you studied at school. I mean, where did that uh, drive or decision come from? to focus on the areas of exercise science and psychology? Oh my goodness. Well, it always surprises people when I tell them that as early as I can remember, so in my memory, ever since I was two years old, I can remember sitting in my bedroom and wondering to myself, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to do with this life? And it does. It surprises a lot of people because they're thinking, well, gosh, when I was two, I was thinking, when can I get my next treat? And when can I, you know, play with those blocks? Um, But it's always been a part of me to be very thoughtful and intuitive and inquisitive about myself. And so from that young age, there was something in me to want to help people, you know, at two years old, that's what I thought. Oh, I want to help people. And then as I got older and I started experiencing my own life events, um, I grew up with a brother who suffered with very severe mental illness and attempted suicide multiple times. And so as a child, um, experiencing something like that helped to shape my perspective on how can I help people? So when it came to deciding what to major in in college, I 
uh, was at a place where I had honored a lot of physical health. Um, I was a dancer. I played sports. And I knew that there was a lot of benefit to how we treat our body and helping our mind and vice versa, how we help our our mental health affects our physical health. So I was one of those students who kept going to their advisor and saying, I can't pick just one major. I think I want to add this. I want to add that. And I finally realized I could graduate in the same amount of time by majoring in both exercise science and psychology. So I carried very heavy workloads and I worked um, 20 hours a week as well to make sure that I could afford college. Uh, but it was just exactly what I knew I was meant to do at that time um, to fulfill that need of how am I supposed to help people. Now I'm going to um, hold off on sharing your other very personal story of childhood and since we're talking about mental health and physical health and emotional health what was your experience like at Johns Hopkins uh, when you were working six years there developing leading that um, that intervention, a uh, weight loss trial. What was that experience like? What did you learn from it? And how had, how did the lessons and your learnings really help you in your own personal life? Yeah. I always um, love questions like that because I think sometimes we get very busy in our lives and we don't sit and look backwards to see what were the gifts of each of our landmark experiences and the work that I ended up finding and that ended up wanting me to be a part of it at Johns Hopkins right out of college was definitely a landmark experience. Um, some of the things that it did to shape me and teach me was it amplify, it gave me a chance to amplify my empathy and my desire to understand people when their behavior or what you would see on the outside of them did not actually match who they were as a human being. So I got it, you know, for six years, we worked with people with schizophrenia and who were living with bipolar disorder. So we were working with folks who needed to live in a very structured residential um, environment who did not typically drive anymore um, and who attended a day program during the day in order to learn social skills and mental health skills. And we were there trying to help them become healthier because one of the big, big side effects from the um, pharmaceutical drugs that they are on is weight gain and then heart disease. So we were working to help them exercise and help them change their eating behavior. And typically in every other weight loss trial that's ever been done, the, this group of people are excluded. It's called an exclusionary criteria, meaning if you have mental illness, you're not allowed to participate in a weight loss trial. So this was very um, cutting edge for the investigator I worked for to say, you know what, we're going to take that population and we're going to we're going to see if we can prove that that there's still a way to help them. Um, but it really taught me. I had experiences where people would say very unkind things, um, 
occasionally we would see, you know, just some erratic and confusing behavior. They uh, will go off on many tangents. And so a lot of our intervention involved repetition and involved getting their attention back to what we were doing together. It was such a gift because um, they unconditionally really loved us and really wanted us to be there. And it challenged me to unconditionally see them as a human, you know, see them for who they are and not for what they're saying and not for how they're behaving, because those I then understood were symptoms and that their experience is so much more challenging than mine has ever been in terms of um, what's going on in their reality. So uh, I, I really, the empathy meter in myself, oh my gosh, exploded during those six years. And I'm so grateful for it. Mm. Well, I'm appreciative of you sharing that because the work that you do today, having true conversations with real people, everyday people, uh, empathy is such a big key to being able to connect and relate to all these fascinating, unique stories and journeys that everybody is on, um, you know, because we all are sharing unique experiences and our realities are are truly uh, real for us, you know. So even though in some of these patients' minds at the time, um, those were their realities, those were things they were going through, even though we're, when looking at them, we're probably thinking, what's going on here? Like, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. But it's such as life, right? I mean, we're all walking around with our own version of reality and it reminds us of other people, how they're receiving us. What do they see? What do they feel or experience through us? So a lot of great lessons in that, I'm sure. Now, Megan, let's talk a little bit about um, your journey as a child, I know that you were adopted as an infant. Can you share what that experience is like now that you are an adult and um, are open and freely sharing this with the world? And how do you connect with others who might um, have gone through the same experience that you have? Yeah. Oh, man. So I'll start off by sharing that the way that my parents helped to shape my understanding of our story, our family story, and my adoption was they would tell it to me as a bedtime story ever since I was a baby. And so, again, from a really young age, I understood that this is this is my life and this is how I came to be, and I'm so lucky. I am such a lucky person to have been loved so much, to be given the optimal chance at a great life. And as I got older into adulthood, it was, um, I think I was around 22 years old or 24 years old. And I had just such a compelling tug to reach my birth mother with a one-way letter and to say, thank you. That was it. And so a lot of circumstances came together. Again, I think I am so lucky because that letter actually reached her 
And we've been able to, as I became a mother to my two children, I've been able to heal as well as she's been able to heal a lot of the things that stemmed from our separation. And so as an adult now, you know, I think what the common denominator in, in terms of how can people who maybe aren't adopted still relate to my journey is that it's, it was a loss and it was a loss from birth that I did not as an infant understand how to grieve as a child, I didn't understand um, how to connect the dots. And as an adult, I didn't understand how that loss or that ending of a relationship with my birth mother had been impacting my ability to trust and especially to trust myself um, in loving other people to the depth that I really wanted to. So it really showed up. All of these things showed up and, and um, came to be in my awareness. It took a long time. It took until I was um, almost 30 years old and I was having my second child and our bond and our connection was not instantaneous and glorious and full of butterflies and rainbows um, like it had been with my daughter and like it had been with so many other people or that's what they tell you it's like. It wasn't and it wasn't like that for a hard year and a half. And so during that year and a half, I really that's when I started looking back at my journey as an adopted child, as an adopted infant and asking what is it that I don't know? And what is it that I haven't faced yet? Um, what do I have to put together the pieces I have to put together in my own heart to be able to, uh, reach this next level of love. So, um, you know, for other people who, who aren't adopted, I think just looking at the loss and the grief that you maybe haven't faced or you, you know, um, is causing you some distance from people, that's the journey. And, um, yeah. And, and I, it's, it's a common, uh, now that I'm starting to, uh, share that story and, and more people who are adopted are also sharing their stories. Um, it is amazing, uh, how our experiences have been so enriched by being adopted because even though we experience such intense pain from a very young age of just not knowing and confusion and feeling abandoned, um, oh my goodness, you know, without that, would we be seeking such depth in the opposite direction to understand ourselves and understand our identity and understand how do we connect with people again. So, uh, it's, it's incredible. I think people who are adopted have something very special, um, to be able to offer the world. Now, when you speak of facing physical depletion and spiritual awakening after the birth of your son, now you touched upon it just then. Can you walk us through what that was like when you say spiritual awakening and, and how did you heal from those moments when you felt you were in despair and why couldn't you connect with your son? What's, what, what, was, what is, quote, wrong with me? What is wrong with the situation? How did you work on feeling this new sense of hope and joy and love now? Mm. I... 
will tell you. So right after I had my son, it was like a light switch went off. Um, I literally remember holding him and then just really retreating and wanting to be alone and wanting to rest. Oh my gosh, I was so exhausted. Um, and it was an exhaustion that just didn't go away. You know, of course the first months of after having a baby and not sleeping, there's a different level of exhaustion. And I, again, tend to be just very finely aware of myself. And I, um, would find that my new normal physically, which I'll talk about first, physically, my new normal was that I felt dizzy and unable to hold this, you know, carry on a conversation. I wouldn't finish any of my sentences. I could barely remember what the last thing I was saying was. I describe it to people like I felt drunk without being drunk. Hmm. <laughs> so I was drunk all the time. I mean, that's what it felt like. Um, but without the happy, <laughs> without the, you know, the, the happy giggly, whatever part of that experience <laughs> is, it was just this, this, I couldn't keep track. I, um, sometimes wouldn't drive because I knew I couldn't focus enough to stay on the road and that was unsafe. Um, I was exhausted to the point where, you know, I was afraid all the time every day that I was going to just fall asleep. And that, in addition to this different feeling I had with my son of um, not really wanting to be the one to take care of him, uh, really had me start to question, what do I need to work on? So thank goodness, up until that point in my life, I had been exposed to personal growth. I had, I had the mindset already to be able to step outside myself and look in and say, this is, I refuse to tolerate this. I refuse to let this become us. Like I made, I remember laying in bed one day and just made this commitment that I am ready to work on whatever it is that is creating this. I am ready to face whatever terrible pain or uh, stories that I've I've kept and held on to that may or may not even be my own. And that's what started this sort of digging through the layers and asking for help. I asked for so much help because I had to. Um, there's, there's a difference too. like a lot of people when they've started to hear a little bit of what I went through after having my son miles, they said, Oh yeah, I had postpartum depression as well. And there's a distinction between that. My body and my spirit were what was suffering and not my mental health. I think a lot of people actually with postpartum depression probably do end up suffering what I had, which is called adrenal exhaustion. It means your adrenal glands stop working or work very minimally. And they're in charge of all of these hormones that keep you awake mm -hmm. and that keep maintain your fluid levels in your bodies. They sit on, on top of your kidneys. So they direct a lot of functioning of your organs and a lot of how do you get nutrients into your body? How do you get up and go 
how do you um, fall asleep? And so that was completely dysfunctional because I just, they weren't working anymore. And so I never felt despair, right? Like I never felt, if I looked at the list of symptoms for postpartum depression, I didn't have them. I had just this inability to handle stress. So loud noises, um, bright lights, uh, just, just, I couldn't handle it. So what it led to, what that physical manifestation led to was my spiritual questioning. And I didn't even know that I needed spiritual questioning, which is why it was so impactful when it, when this awakening happened, because I was the type of person throughout my whole life that believed in science, right? I studied two scientific fields. I honored that other people had a relationship with God, but I did not. I didn't like the word. It didn't fit me. Um, I did not enjoy being told what to think. So organized religion just did not fill my needs. But I always honored that it had a purpose and a place for other human beings. And to some degree, I might have even been envious of that. Like, oh, cool. They have something that brings them comfort. I didn't have that. You know, I was one of those people who like, if you asked me, what's your biggest fear? It would be death, like dying because I imagined this abyss and this nothingness. So at this time where my body and I'm questioning, how do I heal my body? Of course, the universe ends up giving you what you really need. And um, I was at a chiropractor's office one day, and she also does a whole bunch of other modalities like Reiki and um, psychokinesis, which is a way of helping your body release these psychological or spiritual beliefs that are that are not serving you or that are not in balance. And so this one day when I really went in with an intention to like have a solution, figure out what the heck is wrong with me, right? I went in and she said, you know, let's do some some psychokinesis. So she gave me a list of different affirmations or beliefs. And we tested, there's this, a way of testing your body to figure out which one it needs to be worked on that day. And the one that came up was around spirituality. And the statement was, every one of my experiences brings me closer to God. And Molly, I literally laughed out loud when I saw that that was the statement that we were going to work on. Because again, remember back at that moment, I didn't believe in God for myself. And I thought that's a load of crud, right? Like, of course, that's not true. I don't know why that would be true. Like, <laughs> and I just, I scoffed at it, but I, I trusted this practitioner with my whole heart and, um, and I, I trusted the process. So I thought, all right, we'll see what comes out of it. And, um, the way we were going to balance it that day was I was to write it on a piece of paper and I was to take a big box of 64 color crayons and just draw whatever my spirit led me to draw. So I'm like, okay. And still in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this, I don't need this. Right. So we become our we, we become blind to the things that we really need. And, um, 
I started to draw around this statement, every experience brings me closer to God. And my hand just started to draw hearts. And I happened to be holding a pink uh, crayon. And by the second or third heart, I started sobbing. Mm -hmm. Like it just overcame me this amount of sadness and this knowing like, you know, the voice in your head, right? I didn't hear a voice, but I heard this voice, this like when I talked to myself in my head, it sounded like that. And this voice said, I, um, where were you when I needed you? Mm And I saw myself as this infant in the hospital in Korea where I was born crying and crying and speaking to God as if he had abandoned me and promised I'd be taken care of. But here on earth, I felt so alone and that I had been left by God. Like, well, you promised me and and you weren't there. Wow. And so... Because I did not even know this was an issue I had. I believe it fully, right? It's like, because I didn't even know I had a spiritual issue, because I didn't even know I had, I had basically promised myself in that moment as an infant, well, then screw you. I'm no longer going to have a relationship with you. This was nowhere on my conscious radar. So when it happened and I was just so overcome with emotion, I literally was sobbing and like the paper was getting wet and my hand just kept drawing hearts and then it put the crayon down and like I picked up a blue crayon because like that's what I was told to do. Just pick up whatever color comes to you and the blue crayon and I just started drawing all these hearts around this statement and then the second, the last um, knowing like thought that came to me was, why would I want to get closer to you when I'm so mad at you? Mm-hmm. And so that was the, that was the beginning of this awakening. Um, and I, when I felt finished and I felt, you know, sort of back into myself and whole and, and all of this, I just, I looked at it and I thought, holy you know, (laughs) Oh my gosh, (laughs) where did that come from? But again, sometimes, you know, I think the universe like has to shock you to be able to get you to listen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so from that moment, um, I'll just share one last thing about it because it is a super long story. Powerful. Um, Is that, uh, so the chiropractor, my dear friend, Dr. Carol, she came back in and I said, whoa, I don't know where that came from, but that was so huge. And she just said, oh my gosh, let me go get you these two books. She like, she got a, a intuition, like I need to give you these two books. So she comes back with two children's books and she says, I don't even know what you just experienced, but I just feel like you should read these two children's books. They were written by Neil Donald Walsh, the author of Conversations with God, and he had summarized some of his the lessons that God had had spoken through him into children's parables so that we could, you know, have these conversations with our kids. And so I guess at that level, like that was the level I was at, right? Like I would <laughs> one moment saying God doesn't exist to, oh my gosh, I actually talked to 
my God. And like, you know, now I acknowledge its existence. And so here, here, Megan, here, read these two children's books. <laughs> and, um, I went home and everything I read just settled into me as, tr- as, as my truth. Um, and even the littlest detail of that in his children's, these two books, the second one is about the soul being born into a body, into a baby. And the name of the baby was Megan. Wow. And it was spelled like my name is spelled, which is not the usual name of spelling Megan. That is something else. Wow. So I had text a friend and I said, I think I'm hallucinating. I just had this really cool moment at Dr. Carol's office, but I think I've like lost my, my marbles. Right. <laughs> and she's like, no, really it does say Megan. So, um, from that moment, I mean, it's been completely transformative to be learning about this other part of, of ourselves, our spirit selves, all of us. So Thank you so much for sharing that, Megan. And I think this is such a perfect um, segue into true conversations because you said, I'm sorry, this this story is so long and we should never (laughs) apologize for our stories, first of all. And secondly, it was um, truly uh, inspiring and powerful and just a reminder that sometimes we really are not even um, aware or awoke (laughs) to... Mm -hmm the things that might be holding us back um, from really living with joy and with this sense of of freedom that most of us seek in life, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to transition now our conversation into what is True Conversations and um, how do you see taking this business concept uh, mission and really sharing that and spreading that to the world. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So like many people who are living that joy, who are living in love, um, feel and can relate to and who and how people who aren't yet want to feel this way is that I look back at all of those things, some of which I just shared with you, uh, and think, gosh, yeah, life has been preparing me for my soul's work. And finally, at 31, I'm aware of what my soul's work is. And that part of it is to fulfill my belief that every human being deserves understanding and I am currently able to do that through this vessel of true conversations. So we want it. I wanted it to be this platform and this community to be a, a place where, ever again, that we exchange our stories and we have these open, transparent, and empowering conversations around human experiences so that we can understand each other more. And even in, especially in today's world where our vision our like on our purpose is, is challenging. Um, we're stepping into the challenge we've presented ourselves with, which is let's really encourage people 
including ourselves, to want to understand people who they don't um, really have anything in common with, people who they're fearful of, people who they have never crossed paths with before. And one of the things why we chose podcasting as one of our platforms is because I know and every you know a lot of people know that life keeps us in our own little bubble often even when we make a very conscious choice to step outside of that bubble how many reasons and circumstances we can never expose ourselves to enough diversity um at least for most people and so this podcast gets to pop into their home or pop into their car or while they're on their walk with their kids or in their office and expose them to these real conversations, these true conversations between people who they otherwise would never have bumped into. And with the mission of helping all of us understand that person who's being the guest or who's having the conversation to help understand them more. So our future challenge um, and what we're stepping into now is, you know, opening that up so that we can get more diversity. We can hear more voices. We can understand more people who don't typically have a platform um, to be heard. And, you know, that's really representative of uh, not just race, like ethnic groups and, and gender, Um, but also just experiences like I shared, you know, around grief and loss or cancer or, um, adoption, you know, so that's, um, yeah, that's sort of what we're, we're all about right now, what we believe in and people who believe that every human being deserves understanding as well, uh, will, will, are welcome to um, join us in, in any way that they feel they want to um, because they have something special as well that the world needs. So let me ask you this. Um, so you have a podcast, but I also know you have an upcoming event. Can you talk about the events and yeah. your mission and your goals for that and the details so that our listeners can learn more about it and possibly even attend if they're in the local area or willing to fly in here. Yeah. So this year we're hosting just one event. We call it true conversations live. And this year's theme is she started it. So it is going to, the mission of it is that again, we believe every, and in this case, it's going to be woman Um, entrepreneur deserves understanding. So no matter how you're going about your journey as an entrepreneur, whether you are, uh, you've been in the, the entrepreneurial world for decades, whether you're just starting, whether you're doing it as a side gig in addition to a full time job, or whether you haven't even stepped into it yet, but you you're curious and you want to, that we're honoring each of those journeys And so that we can understand each other better because, you know, what does the world need right now is for all of us to come together. And I see this really positive movement happening amongst women right now that we are locking arms and we are helping each each other out. 
And I think we can do that even more when we understand and honor each other's individual choices that they're making as to how they're going about their journey. So we're going to watch a um, really wonderful documentary called She Started It, and it follows five female founders um, from the tech industry. And then it's going to be followed by a panel discussion that represents almost every different type of journey of female entrepreneurship or female founding and pioneering. So we're going to have Delegate Joseline Pena Melnick, who um, serves in the House of uh, Delegates for Maryland. She's been there for 10 years, and she was born in the Dominican Republic. We're going to have um, a top 100 income earner in network marketing. We're going to have a woman who works a full-time job, but she also is sits on the board of directors for many of her um dietetics uh, organizations as well. So she's fulfilling it in just a different way. And we're gathering people from all different generations to come to this event. So there will be students as well as people who are almost 80 years old in the room. Um, and so they people can learn more about it. Um, our early bird tickets are on sale through the end of the month. And then um, there's sponsoring opportunities as well. So they can check it out at, um, I think, HTTPS uh, and then the true-she-started-it.eventbrite.com. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now I have one more thing that I want to cover because I know this is a special, um, you hold a special place in your heart for developing and supporting our youth. And so let's talk about your mentorship programs that you are really starting to put together and uh, soon launching, if not already launching. And let's get the word out there about what your vision is for that. Yes. So while our podcast and our event really are helping those in need understand each other um, who are already out into the workforce and already out into their adulting, right? Like they're, they're doing the adult <laughs> life concept. Um, we absolutely, oh my gosh, I am so passionate about connecting with the next generation and especially impacting leaders, our future leaders in um, encouraging them to just want to understand whoever they're serving, want to understand people who are different from them. And so our program that come this fall, we're, we're looking and interviewing um, college campuses, their student organization department who may know student leaders who would want to be a true conversations ambassador and start a program on campus with our mentorship so that we can teach and train and mentor them in how do you identify these issues and these polarizing and stigmatized topics and facilitate true conversations amongst themselves on campus, whether it's between administration and students or students and students of different groups, um, faculty, and um, just bring that to the next generation. You know, how do we changing our future as well? So um, anyone who has a connection on a university or who knows of even just a single college student who 
has it a part of them that empathy and that desire to um, bring understanding to a campus? Uh, let us know. Email us. Um, That's great, Megan. Well, that um, really helps me to ask you the next question, which is how do people find you and email you and contact you? Yes. They can email me at info at true-conversations.com. So there's like a dash mark in the middle of true and conversations.com. And they can also find me. Um, we have an Instagram and a Facebook and the handle is true conversations, LLC. Uh, and our website, of course, is www.true-conversations.com. And on our website are two very easily found buttons that can bring you to our iTunes or SoundCloud podcast channel to subscribe to. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for sharing uh, such powerful insights, your stories, your journey. Um, Thank you for having that true conversation with us today. It takes a lot of courage, and I am so grateful that you are the person that you are. It makes like real good sense that you are the CEO and founder of True Conversations. <laughs> Thank you so much for being you and for um, inviting me on to talk with you. Well, I wish you all the best with your events, and I'm um, so delighted to be supporting it and sponsoring and helping to promote it because I think it's really amazing that you're right, you know, this wonderful movement of women locking arms, holding hands, um, really supporting each other all over the world. So I support you and anything that we can do to support your community, uh, your tribe of true conversationers, <laughs> I would be <laughs> delighted to, to continue to, um, to rally. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. We really appreciate you, and we can't wait to bring you uh, more and more incredible content and stories and insights. Until then, uh, take good care, and we'll speak to you real soon. Bye-bye now. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.